Um, today, we have a little different message. We've been if, going through 2 Corinthians, and um, we're nearing the end of 2 Corinthians, and it's been a great study, and I've been really enjoyed preaching through it. Um, but today, we're going to do uh, a topical message, which you, if you're a regular here, you know that's very unusual. But I had this... Um, very, very vivid dream when I was on vacation. And I just really felt that I needed to share it. So this morning, that's what we're going to do. And I, as a, uh, uh, the text, um, it's Acts chapter 2, 16 to 18. I'll read that to you. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word? But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. And on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So uh, while we were away, I had this very vivid dream one morning, and and I find that those dreams that are just so vivid, I mean, color and clarity, and you remember the details, are usually from the Lord. God's usually trying to speak to us something that we need to take hold of. And since that day, I found opportunities. This was about three weeks ago. I found opportunities to share it with different people. And some people would say, that's just what I needed to hear. And I would think, oh, that's why God gave it to me. It was for this person. And then somebody else would say that, oh, maybe it was for this person too. And just over and over again, I found that, that it encouraged them. So I shared it on Facebook. Yeah, you, you heard me right. <laughs> and I shared it with um, um, different men that I've mentored throughout the years. I sent it to all of them to try to encourage them. And then I felt, well, I needed to share it with everybody. So I wrote this sermon on it. I want to take this time away from Second Corinthians just for this message. Be and we're going to go through the scriptures. This is going to have more scripture in it than my usual sermons um, because if you, if you think you're hearing from God, you need to confirm it with the word of God. Anything we think that is of God, we should be able to confirm in the scriptures that God has revealed to us. So at one point in my dream, this, uh, I can't remember anything except the very end. And then it was just so vivid and so memorable this man was just like six inches from my face and I can still picture his hazel eyes with these little black flecks in them and he he looked straight in my eyes and he said what you need is strength courage and endurance and I woke up and that expression was just like burned in my brain that I need I need strength, I need courage, I need endurance. That was it. So here's a little what the Bible says about those three things, strength, courage, and endurance. 
And I, I, when I started preparing this, I never realized how these, this theme runs throughout all of Scripture. Strength. So next Sunday, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul redefines what strength is. In chapter 12, verse 10, he says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So I don't want to dwell on this one point too long because next week we're really going to dig into it. But I do want us to consider this biblical concept that's so opposite of the way that the world sees things. When we realize the truth that Jesus declared when he said, without me, you can do nothing, we're in touch with reality. Oh, we, you know, we can do all kinds of things. That we can make all kinds of actions and activities, but and even things that appear to be good deeds, but nothing of eternal worth, nothing of lasting value without Christ. It's a concept that changes the way we look at everything. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, he says, And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, I'm going over different verses about strength and trying to connect them all so that we can see where strength comes from. So first of all, we've learned that it, it isn't in ourselves. It's from the Lord. And when we realize we're weak, we're really strong. But now let's look at how joy connects with this. These words, the joy of the Lord is your strength, were, were spoken to the remnant that returned to Jerusalem. And Nehemiah had just helped them finish rebuilding the wall. And Ezra had read the book of the law to the people that were there in Jerusalem helping rebuild the walls. And as the people, uh, as they finished reading it, then the priest explained, they expanded on, on what uh, Ezra had read, kind of like a, what we do, preaching. We have the scripture and then we preach on that scripture. That's what they were doing. And they were weeping and repenting because they realized that the, reason, the things that their ancestors had did that sent them into captivity was the very things that they were doing. And so they knew they, they were under conviction and they knew they needed to change. But because they repented, God told them to celebrate. Eat some rich food, drink some wine, and share with people that don't have any. And don't be grieved because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit and a source of spiritual strength. When we realize how much God loves us, when we realize that he accepts our repentance and provided a solution to that sin. Of course, they didn't know it at the time. They looked forward in faith, but we can look back and see how he provided. Then we can have joy, and that becomes our strength. Gratitude for God's forgiveness becomes a source of strength. And why is that? 
because we know our enemies cannot prevail over us. As Jesus said, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The worst man can do to us is send us to glory. Hallelujah. When we lose our fear of death, which is one of the freedoms that we have in Christ, freedom from the fear of death, we are incredibly strengthened to stand for our faith. Through death, Jesus destroyed the power of Satan who causes us to fear death. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says, Since therefore children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power over of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Freedom from the enslavement of the fear of death is real strength. If you're not afraid to die, who, who can frighten you? It, it reminds me uh, of uh, Star Wars, you know, when Obi-Wan says, cut me down and I shall be more powerful than you can imagine. <laughs> well, we already are in Christ. And if they cut us down, it makes no difference. Hallelujah. Jesus also gives us strength to break free from Satan's other enslaving tools like addictions, uh, uh, playing on our weaknesses. Jesus said that everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. But he also said, knowing the truth sets us free. That's supernatural strength that overcomes our weaknesses. And it only comes from truth incarnate, Christ Jesus. You know, in the Old Testament, there were feats of physical strength. We know the story of Samson, and some of you have read of David's mighty men and their incredible acts. But we also had supernatural strength demonstrated by those who trusted the Lord to be their strength, such as David with Goliath. The little shepherd boy was mocked by the gigantic warrior Goliath who said he was going to feed David's flesh to the birds and the beasts. Now I'm going to reading from 1 Samuel 17, 45 to 47. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. David mentioned the weapons of, of Goliath, sword and spear and javelin, but he didn't say anything about his little slingshot. That's because he didn't trust in his little slingshot. He trusted in the Lord. He was coming in the name of the Lord of the armies of heaven. He declared it was the Lord who would give him the victory. He said the Lord does not save with weapons, it's not about 
your military prowess or how strong you are. It's the Lord's battle. That's the voice of faith in God, and that is strength. But of course, the ultimate display of strength was when Jesus went to the cross. It's ironic that they mocked Jesus by saying, he trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him, for he said, I am the son of God. And God did deliver him. Not at that instant, but even more miraculously, three days later, he delivered him from death out of death. Yes, Jesus trusted his father and knew that despite what looked like weakness and utter defeat, he would rise the victor over death and hell. That is strength. That's power. And you know what? The apostle Paul says the power that raised Christ from the dead is living in you. <laughs> Can you handle that? <laughs> Can you believe that? That's amazing strength that we have to have faith to believe and to apply to our lives. So when, when I heard the words, you need to be strong, I understood it to mean reliant upon the Lord with faith in him that he can do and what he can do no matter what the situation appears to be or how disappointed I might be in the outcome. It's faith that trusts God and doesn't fear what man can do to us. That's strength. Courageous. Courage comes from knowing that you have supernatural strength, the strength of the Lord being with you. Three times in Deuteronomy chapter 31 and four times in Joshua chapter 1, we're told to be strong and courageous. Here are three of those verses. The first one, Deuteronomy 31, 6, be strong and courageous. Do not fear and do not be in dread of them for it's the Lord your God that goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. And Joshua 1, 7, only be strong and very courageous being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. And Joshua 1, 9, have not I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You know, courage is the opposite of being frightened. We can't talk about courage without mentioning that 365 times scripture tells us do not fear. Fear is evidence of a lack of trust in God. If we know Almighty God is with us, what do we have to fear? And therefore we can be very courageous. What does courage come from? Where does it come from? Psalm 27, 14 says, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. When we wait upon God to find his will, we can 
let our hearts take courage and press on because he, we know he goes before us. Courage is in most cases preceded by the command to be strong. And when we find our strength in the Lord and wait for his direction, we will find courage we need to do what he has commanded us to do. Moses had to hear that from God, that God would be with him before he set out to do God's will. The same was true for Joshua. He had to hear that God was with him. And the same is true under the new covenant. Jesus' last words before his ascension was, I will be with you always to the end of the age. He promised never to leave us or forsake us. And if he's with us, we can be strong and courageous. Those two conditions, knowing that Jesus is with us and waiting to know his will should be all we need to courageously go forward into whatever he asks us to do. Think of Joshua in the battle of Jericho. He had to meet the commander of the hosts, who is Jesus, by the way, the pre-incarnate Christ, before he could go forward. Gideon had to hear, I will be with you and hear God's plan before he attacked the Midianite horde with just 300 men. Young Jeremiah had to hear it before he could stand and prophesy to rebellious Judah. The apostle Paul needed to hear it when he first came to the wicked city of Corinth, when God told him he would be with him. When we lack courage, we need to hear it from God's word. And the promises to us and to everyone who is in Christ, I am with you. To be courageous, we must wait on the Lord to know what his will is. His will is revealed in his word. And sometimes that word can speak to our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we discern it while we're reading the Bible. The combination of knowing that the Almighty is with us and his direction is clear to us should result in faith that's courageous. The outcome then belongs to the Lord. So whether we prevail in a situation or don't, we did what God desired and we know that he was with us. And sometimes the ultimate effects are never seen in the natural realm. We'll only know the outcome in heaven. But if we know he was with us and we did what he asked, that's success. That's courage, and that's successful. And lastly, endurance. We can start off strong and courageous, but battles can get our eyes off the Lord. And off the fact that the battle belongs to the Lord. Our old nature can demand that, that we've done enough if we stop waiting on the Lord and renewing our strength, we, we take some hits and we back off from the battle. That's why God spoke to Isaiah saying in Isaiah 40, 28 to 31, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. 
right? When I'm weak, then I'm strong. And to him who has no might, he increases in strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And that's how we endure. We wait on the Lord who renews our strength. The Apostle Paul told his disciple Timothy, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 2.3 In this verse, the word translated endure means to suffer along with others. And the others would be our fellow soldiers in this spiritual battle that we call this world. ESV translates it sharing in the suffering. Everyone in this world suffers in one way or another. And if you haven't, please let me know. Never met anyone who hadn't had some kind of suffering. It's part of being human. But our suffering for the cause of Christ has eternal rewards. Matthew 24, 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. In this case, the word endure means to bear up under a burden until you reach your goal. Recently, the movie, The Jesus Revolution, brought up the fact that the young man who really in, was the inspiration for the movement, Lonnie Frisbee, after a time backslid, went back into the world. However, before he died, he returned to the Lord. Chuck Smith was, was there with him when he was passing and witnessed his, Lonnie's conviction to return to preaching the gospel. He, he had been repentant. He wanted to change. He wanted to go back and preach the word. And Chuck Smith suggested this verse implies that those who are born again may fall away for a time, but the Lord will bring them back before they pass from this life. Of course, it's better to never set down the burden of dying daily and serving our Lord and laying up treasure in heaven. But he will see us through in the, to the end if we are his. Luke 21, 19, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. This passage refers to the persecution in the last days, as did the previous one from Matthew. Jesus said that in that day, the world will be persecuting believers. In fact, Revelation tells us the Antichrist makes war with the saints, even putting them to death. But then Jesus said that not a hair of our head will perish. Now, wait a minute. We're going to be put to death, but not a hair of our head will perish? Is that a contradiction? No, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but because we are in Christ, we never lose anything. That's part of why we can be strong and courageous. We can lose our lives. We can be maimed or injured. You know, we know brothers in the third world, uh, in Bangladesh, in India, who suffer for the cause of Christ, who've been imprisoned, who've been beaten, some who have died for the cause of Christ. And yet they counted it all joy to be among the prophets who were persecuted for the name of Jesus. Perish is to be lost. When we're in service to Christ, our earthly losses are not losses 
they gain heavenly rewards. The doctrine of endurance is what I stated earlier, that the born-again person will persevere to the end. They may stumble and be reconciled, but they will not fall away, away and die in that rebellious state. Romans 5, 3 to 5, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Endurance is not only evidence of our salvation, but also the process by which our character is conformed to the image of Christ. Enduring suffering and hardship cause us to lean upon the Lord and find the Lord to be our strength and our sufficiency. Our faith grows so that instead of feeling hopeless, we find hope in the promises of God. We're confident that the Lord will see us through and that he'll be glorified in the process. We must trust that he's conforming us into his likeness through what we endure. Romans 15, four to six, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together with one, that you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This passage links endurance to the instruction of the scriptures and to hope. Why would we have hope if we don't endure and cast aside our faith? It also states that hope comes through the encouragement of the scriptures. These scriptures are all telling us, these ones that I've read through, that we need the word and to dwell on the promises to find encouragement from them. Verse five that I just read calls God the God of endurance and encouragement. What a great way to describe God. The God of endurance and encouragement. The theme of, the, of scripture is that we are increasingly conformed to his likeness if we are in Christ. And that means we should be people of, like God, endurance and encouragement. Just think how God has endured with the sinfulness of mankind not wishing that any should perish. That's how we should endure the suffering caused by sinful man in hopes of their salvation. How much has God endured with you? I can say, boy, he's put up with a lot with me. But that means I need to be the same towards others in the hopes of their salvation. Whether it's a neighbor that dislikes you or... Uh, a business person that uh, wants to take advantage of you or whatever it is, I always remember what Christ has put up with me for my salvation and that I need to be the same towards others. 
Think of how he's encouraged you through scriptures and through fellow believers, through songs, through the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And that's how we are to be towards one another. And the result is that with united hearts, we glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be strong, courageous, and endure. Those qualities are ours when we live the great command. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven: 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. If our hearts are set on him, if we find our deepest inner need met in his love for us, we will live out this great commandment. He will give us the strength we need to face the opposition of the world. And he will give us the courage to face the trials of life. And he will be to us the God of endurance and encouragement. You know, we are in different fields of work, different cultures, different cult countries, different situations, but I know God is with every one of his children to strengthen and encourage every believer to do his will. And while we're living the great command, we're to remember that great commission to make disciples. And that definitely includes our children and our grandchildren. Amen? And those who God puts into our life. I often pray for those my ministry touches, and part of my prayers is that they will fulfill 2 Timothy 2, 2. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's God's means of multiplying the church. The daily battle we face is not just for our own spiritual maturity, but also to liberate captives, to set them on the same glorious journey. God will bring people into your lives to share the wonder of what it means to belong to Jesus. Watch for those opportunities. Don't let them pass you by. Speak the words that God puts in your heart with his love and with genuine concern. Keep on keeping on, amen? We need to be strong, courageous, and endure. I hope you will remember that expression because the best is yet to come. Amen? Amen. Jill, would you lead us in a closing song and then I'll give the benediction.